0: mentioned to the Prophet that the Ahlul Kitab, the people who have received revelation before you in the form of a book, they will argue with you. And when you argue with them, you must do so in the best possible way and understand what it is they are saying and then give them a rebuttal That is better than their opinion. And uh, this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trains the mind of the Prophet and the Sahaba that they must do this as an exercise, as part of their training, their indoctrination, their orientation, whatever it is that needs to be done. When they live in the communities and societies where people will debate about Allah and discuss Allah. Discuss theism and theology and all of that. This ayah, ayah 48, is an ayah that resonates with us so much that we can speak about it for maybe a few weeks, but we won't do that. We'll just give you some highlights about it, inshallah. That you, Muhammad, sallallahu you were not reading before this any book, any revelation, any tradition, any formal education or philosophy or theory. nor were you writing this with your right hand, you then, had you done that, then those who want to claim that you are false, they would have been in doubt. So here this is in reference to the unletteredness of the Prophet. ﷺ. That the Prophet ﷺ never read and he never wrote, nor did he learn how to read or write. And this ayah is very clear about it. Allah is now mentioning to the reader and to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu that when we consider your life story and your credentials and your CV, you don't have one. (laughs) Right? So, did you apply for prophethood? And had you applied for prophethood, what would you have written on your CV? I don't know how to read. I don't know how to write. How am I going to now? Engage in any mujadala, any argumentation, any rhetoric, any polemics and dialectics with the Ahlul Kitab because that's all they do. They're people of the book. They read and they write. So now this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces to us how to read the seerah. How does one read the seerah of the Prophet? Not just that he was a kind man, and he was a great husband, and he was a great father, and he had military genius, and he, uh, mashaAllah, alhamdulillah, was able to resolve all the political, social, economic problems of his time, and he executed social justice and all of that, good stuff, mashallah. which is good. We should do that. But the Qur'an is now explicitly informing us there's one component of his seerah that you overlook. Why do you overlook that? Because you, O oh Muslims of the USA, also read and write. And you also into academics, and you also are uh, in- enamored by the PhDs of the world and the scientists and the Nobel laureates and all the great universities, and the technological brilliance of this community society, which, on the whole, is good. We benefit from that. That's why we're here. But you must understand the more mu'ajizah, the miracle that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is. And that is, he never read, and he never wrote. But yet, he produced a civilization that did what? led the way for others to read and write. So how does now a great greatness come from something that was contrary to the greatness in the beginning? So creating something from nothing. That's That's how Allah works. What does He do? That He creates something from nothing. So there in the absence of Allah subhanahu ta'ala teaching and allowing the Prophet to read and write, there is this miracle called a nabi ummi the unlettered Nabi. So now when this unlettered Nabi is being asked to demonstrate his knowledge in front of people who are Ahlul Kitab, people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, then they cannot comprehend the miracle that they see in front of him. What is that miracle? This is a man that everybody in the world knows, the Quraysh knows, uh, his community knows, people in Medina know, the Jews know, the Christians know, that he never read, he never wrote, but here he is, standing in front of us, and he is proving that our deen, our religion, our understanding of the world is totally absurd although he has no CV. You understand what I'm yeah. So now, the Qur'an also gives us the reason why Allah kept him that way at the end of the ayah. إِذَنْ لَرْتَابُ That had the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as the last Nabi read, and had he written then people would would have objected to his writing. They would be, what, criticizing his writing, because as you know, as soon as you write, you are criticized. As the Arabs say, man صنّفه، istahdafa Whoever writes is making himself a target of open public criticism. Isn't you know that what happens? You write. Uh, a blog, everybody criticizing. You send a text message. That's what he said. You write a journal, an article, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, anyway. So when you want to express your ideas through a formal learning, then people will respond to that and say, according to your formal learning, this is right and this is wrong. according to your standards of evaluation, according to your methodology, according to your hypothesis, and whatever it is you want to bring to the table, this is right and this is wrong. So they will measure you and they will calculate how to to destroy you based on your uh, explicit methodology. So the Prophet was not given any regulated methodology that was going to be written as a formula. It was extempo. It was what? Extempo. It comes to you through wahid. It comes to you through your intuition. It comes to you through your knowledge, through your wisdom. It comes to you as you see the world, uh, the world which is based on your truth and your understanding of the truth. It is not to be regulated and pegged in squares in terms of formula. You do this, when you do this, when this happens you do this. There's no contingency that you need to understand because your master and your lord is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are given the ability to be creative in your argumentation. Usually in a debate you can only do what? Be creative within the box, (laughs) within the set parameters of the discussion. So Allah taala kept the Prophet Muhammad wasallam and the last Nabi in sync with creation. And what is creation? The Creation is uh, perfect, but there seems to be no, uh, what do you call it, regulation to the, the beauty in what Allah taala creates. Right? Every drop of rain is different. Every snowflake is different. Every time the wind blows, it's different. Every time you get uh, the summer, is different. winter is different. In whatever Allah creates, every child of Allah creates is different. <laughs> but it's regulated. It's regulated with creativity. So here it's regulated through wahi, but the wahi gives you creativity. That is the majiza. Okay. So now with the Ahli Kitab, they say, that, "Look, uh, there's Isa alayhi salam." And uh, Isa Islam was born without a mother, without a father, sorry. Now that is creativity. But it's still within a system. At least there's a mother. Okay. So Allah's father said to the Prophet وسلم, that when you debate with the uh, Christian, you must say that is there another example where Allah created, but in a better way than he created Isa Islam In your mind. You say, yes. And what is that? In the math of Isa, Indallahika <laughs> Matri Adam. So why do you think of Adam? Adam was with no mother, no father, no prototype. With Isa at least there was a mother. Okay, so you're going bending over backwards, saying God's mercy and grace is on Isa and Jesus because he had no father, then why don't you say the same thing about Adam? So if he is Kalimatullah, the word of God, meaning Isa, then what is Adam? Adam must be kalamullah, the speech of Allah. <laughs> not just the word, the whole speech. You understand? Now, this comes through what? Wahi. This comes through a sense of creativity that Allah SWT sends upon a Nabi where you're not formalized in your thinking, in your conception, in your discussions, in your method to debate. It's is extempore. It what? Extempore. Now, obviously, this is a moraliza, and it is exclusive to whom? The Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu We should try it because we fail as we do, even when we're reading, we fail. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is how you read the seerah. What is the seerah? Allah subhanahu wa taala created something from nothing in Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam where there were no tools of education present in the mind and the life and the seerah of the Prophet Allah gave him or created with him, in him, through him, knowledge. That is pure genius. If you want somebody who has a background or some kind of learning or experience, tajruba, In hunting, he says, look, I've been hunting for 15 years or 20 years and I don't need a manual for hunting. I can do it. But that's based on what? Experience. Right? Somebody who does cooking very well, based on experience. Somebody who's worked for a firm and then just takes off and says, I want to run my own business. So he did it even though he didn't have the means and tools, but he did, because he had experience. Right? Somebody who has some method of uh, learning and then goes out and even becomes a college dropout and doesn't, but there's still experience there. Okay. With the Prophet wasallam, Allah says, "You had no experience whatsoever in educating people, nor in learning yourself. I mean you didn't read to learn, and you did not uh, educate by writing. Okay. So here's something byit. What does he do, Allah? Allah does. He, he takes out the, the uh, hay from the mayyit, the living from the dead, as if there is nothing there in, in, in the substance of Muhammad ﷺ's seerah that you could say and forecast, meaning in the minds of the Quraysh, that this person will become a, an educator for the rest of mankind. They couldn't have predicted that. They might have said that he's going to be a role model for the people of Mecca in his behavior, in his honesty, in his trustworthiness, in his being truthful and honest, and his dignity, his character, and his hospitality, but that would have been about it. For somebody to say, at the age when Muhammad Wasallam was 40 years old, that this man is going to give the whole world knowledge. Come again? <laughs> something wrong with you here. Now this is what the, the ahl al Kitab did not appreciate. ahl al Kitab is a term in the Qur'an that is not always an honorific. It is our misconception of the word today that we treat as an honorific. Here the Qur'an is saying they're ahl al Kitab. They have the book. They read and write, but they don't accept the truth. So the ability to read and write doesn't make you automatically a person of the truth. Why? Because when you read and write, you're going to have doubts. But as we see, every article we read, we read with a, a grain of salt, a pinch of salt. No, no maybe this is right, this is, right, this is right. You think. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu from reading and writing. For many reasons. One is this reason, that people would not be able to claim and say, he wrote this, and therefore we must now peck at him and see where he has failed in his writing, in his expression, and in his training, and in his learning. So the Prophet Allah said, no. We taught him, period. Everything, period. He did not apply for the job. We gave him the job. And this is the way we must understand the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. Mm-hmm. That whatever he said and did post Nabuwa was based on Risalah. Was based on Nabuwa, on prophethood. Uh, based on his being Allah's messenger, not just his being a good human being. That was already established before Nabuwa. He was already the best human being. So when we blow our trumpets and say he was the best human being, that doesn't mean anything to us. Why? Because we knew that before So uh, the wahi has to give a Muslim something more than the idea that he was a good human being. That is relegating the maqam and the status of the Prophet wasallam. When you sit and lecture in front of Muslims, he was a great human being. So haven't you read the seerah that at the age of 40? He was the best human being on the planet, period. So what did Wahi give him? And what has Wahi given you? Other than your secular ideas or your social ideas and, and, and your values of the world and the political world, that this is how human beings must behave? No. What Wahi gives is knowledge. What Wahi gives is suprarational intellect and suprarational knowledge. That is what Allah gave Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is how you read Seerah. So whatever he did was based on hukum of Allah, which he would not have been able to formulate through his education because he didn't have any. There was no manual out there. He didn't read and write. So this is how uh, we must see how the Qur'an is now establishing a certain standard. That one standard is that you you have your culture and you have your tradition, which is the Quraysh. The Quraysh has culture and its tradition, it has economics, it has political power, it has a system, albeit the tribal system, and it has values, albeit the uh, cultural values of the Arab, most of of which was very good, very kind, very noble people, as the Qur'an attests and the Prophet also attests to. And the other is that you have the tradition of formal learning, which is through the Ahl-Kitab, So, the Ahli Kitab meaning that Umar uh, would say that uh, I would pass by a group of rabbis every time I went to visit the Prophet. And they would be studying the Torah. And then sometimes I would ask them if I could join. And they would say, yes, please join. And then I would listen to them. But they were discussing the Torah based on a formal schedule and a formal uh, structure of the Torah and this is what they were discussing that tells us what? that they were organizing their learning and teaching of the Torah even in Medina and they were called the Ahli Kitab right? people of the book yep. so Umar would sit then he went to the Prophet and said Ya Rasulullah, this is what I do so the Prophet said no, don't do that he was a bit annoyed. So, so why? So if Musa had been alive here with us today, he would have nothing except no recourse except to follow me. Meaning, whatever you get from the Qur'an and me suffices more than what you will receive from them. You won't learn the truth from them. With the Qur'an and Wahi, you'll learn the truth. So, this is, he, he, is okay, he didn't go. What it is, then you have this eye. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when you debate with the Ahl kitab you should not do so except when it is better. So now you know what they say, and you present your case and your argumentation in a much better way, which is very methodical and very cogent and cohesive and consistent, so that they know that you are not a sub-intellectual and you are not mediocre, as I mentioned last week. This is for the Sahaba. That's why the address in Ayah 46 is in the plural. وَلَا okay. تَجَادِلُوا All of you, all companions of the Prophet and all Muslims, do not debate with the Ahlul Kitab. That's in the plural. Okay. Here, Allah is speaking specifically about the Prophet Muhammad so it is in the singular. Okay. So now yeah, the Mufassir has to make a sense of why that is plural, and why this is singular. Here it is singular because the Prophet ﷺ did not know, nor did he learn how to debate formally, in a structured way, where the Muslim Ummah is now being addressed in the previous ayah to formulate a method by which they are going to debate. So you have now set standards and rules and regulations of debate, premises and, uh, you, you know, your... You, uh, discussions, uh, how you go to allow people to, to, to logically determine, come to conclusions, etc. That is formulation of knowledge. But with the Prophet ﷺ, he was guided strictly by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his wahi, his fadl, and whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet ﷺ. Okay. So this ayah tells us many things about how to read Muhammad ﷺ, who never read. How do you read somebody who never read? that's the Qur'an, so he is the Qur'an. You read the Qur'an, you read Muhammad as the Sahaba used to say about him. If he was to read and write, then Muslims would have said that he wrote this and he did not write this, as it is obvious uh, from certain letters that people claim that he wrote. Right? You know that tradition. <laughs> That's a political issue now, but you know, a certain group of uh, sects of Muslims say that the Prophet ﷺ wrote Ali a letter as he was dying or before he died or passed away, and that is subject to debate, okay? meaning that letter would have been private, okay? and anything that's private is always going to be subject to debate. <laughs> so the Sunnis said none of that. What's in the oral tradition? There's nothing in the oral tradition that even remotely suggests that he had appointed someone to be his successor in writing. al When you write, you're going to contest the writing. So you don't do that unless it's for documentation and record-keeping. Anyway, that's just a footnote to the historical context of how the Sunni Muslims have understood that their knowledge comes from a human being who is the last Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he came to teach everybody, regardless of whether they have education or whether they don't have education, then people would have said that since he wrote, I am not obligated to follow him because I don't know how to read or write. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept him neutral and said he neither reads nor writes, so that anyone who doesn't have any education in the world, which is the majority of people in the world... Then they can also follow him, so he remains universal. <inaudible> Those who want to cancel out the message of Allah and the message of Rasulullah and the message of Deen, they will always peck at people's writings and opinions if they are recorded this way. Okay. So, this is why we see that this ayah has uh, so many uh, applications and manifestations, which, if you were to do tafsir of it, it, would take. Much longer time than this class can afford. Then Allah subhanahu says out of his rahmah that those who follow him may also receive certain types of knowledge. But rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that it, as as an offshoot of this discourse and discussion, and of this reality, you must understand okay, what is that? That all of these uh, processes, and all of these methodologies and theories and paradigms, uh, they are all very sound proof ayat, okay, verses, signs of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that are inside the bosoms. And the hearts of those who have been given knowledge. So they penetrate into the hearts of people of knowledge, and then people of knowledge, when they receive knowledge of wahi through the Quran and through the Sunnah, then all of these become very self evident ayat themselves. Okay? So now, pre revelation is for Muhammad, and post revelation, meaning post uh, the departure of the Prophet from this world. It belongs to the Ummah. What does? Knowledge of Prophethood. فِي صدور الَّذِينَ وطل. In the hearts of those, in the chests of those who, who, who have been given knowledge. Who are they? الْعُلَمَاءُ وَرَثَةُ anbiya That the ulama, they are the heirs of all prophets. That they receive their inheritance in the form of prophet, prof, prophetic knowledge, and then they carry the light and the nur of prophethood, uh, for themselves and for the people, and for other generations to come. In those uh, uh, brackets of ulama and scholars, there are some who will have self-evident uh, proofs of the truth. Ayat bayinat. bayyinat What does that mean? That means, as I mentioned last week and other times also, that as a Muslim ummah and a community, we must establish an institution or institutions or places of learning where people are taught this science and this discipline are proving the truth, defending the truth, standing up for the truth academically and intellectually, that they become self-evident. So why does Islam say this and why does Islam say that? Not to prove the ruling, to initiate the ruling, but to defend it, so this is how it works. Allah says, as I mentioned last week, that we must make wudu before we stand for prayer. That's the hukum, every Muslim knows this, now defend it. Why does a Muslim need to make wudu when they stand up for prayer? So for those ahkam, Allah says, آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ that there are self-evident signs and proofs in the hearts of those who know that this is Allah's hukum, this is Allah's ruling, and this is the evidence for it, and this is the hikmah, the wisdom behind it, meaning the logic behind it, the rationality behind it, and the utility behind it. In that order, right? So this is how you develop a school of Muslim thinkers, and Muslim practitioners, so that they may explain what Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala explained to the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and what the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wasallam explained to the Sahaba, and it is very well done. I mean, it is very well regulated, it is all very systematic, and very organized, which was then uh, mandated by Omar Radhiyallahu So Umar anh, understood the need for professional institutions. Now they didn't have buildings in the form of universities, we do. But he was the first one who established salaries for teachers. And he was also the first one to establish, now uh, what you call stipends for students. Hidden right, history. Now you don't get that anymore. This it? all fee-sabil now. fee <laughs> means the state has to support you. That's what fee-sabil means. The state has to support you. If there's no state, then the community supports you. That's what I mean. So where, when you develop this ability to say that as a civilization, we want those who represent the Islamic philosophy, ideology, and the Islamic theory, they have to be the best. Then you pay for it. They can't be the best uh, when they don't know how to pay their bills next week. Yeah. Obviously, you've we heard this rhetoric before. What I'm saying is that since we've moved away from the Sunnah of the Khulafa and the great ulama of the early days, this is what happens. So you can't do that anymore. There's no question of economics Well, you know, they should be pious. Their piety is in their learning. The piety of an alim is where? In his ilm. That's what he's there for. The piety of an alim is not that he, he, uh, you know, he's a wali of Allah and he sits in the masjid making dhikr and all the food comes from the heavens every day to him." That's not his piety. His piety is that he must learn and he must teach what he knows and what he is learning. That's his piety and that's the way we used to function. So the Ayatul bayyinat will come to those who have been given knowledge, meaning after learning and teaching for so many years, uh, you will have a certain nur from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will have a certain understanding of the deen of the sharia, and then you will be able to explain The hikmah, the wisdom, okay, in what Allah wants you to do. You will not change the hukum, which is a point that I've mentioned also before many times. When we speak about Islam, we do not prove Islam. Islam is already proven. Where? Here, in the Qur'an Sunnah. Salat five times a day is fard. That you cannot change, uh, just because you don't understand it. Why is salat? Five times a day, that you can explain. Can we say that until we explain why Salah is five times a day, we will not pray five times a day? No, that's kufr. You can't do that. That's not Islam. That is kufr. Some people say, until you explain to me why pork is haram, I'm not going to stay away Be my guest. You can do whatever you want. I'm not going after you. You can do what you want. Don't waste my time. It's haram, period. Why is, what are some of the hikam and the benefits and utility of why pork is around? These are some of them. Would we change if somebody says, well, I find benefit in pork? The hukum won't change because somebody finds benefit in it. That's the utility of it. So this is where I think the ummah today needs to differentiate between the hukum and a hikmah. The hukum is what is established. From the Qur'an Sunnah, every Muslim knows that the hikmah is the wisdom behind it. That wisdom is sometimes contextual, sometimes circumstantial, and sometimes it is theoretical, sometimes universal. We don't know. It comes to those when they are in the mode and mode of debate. Okay, So one reasoning may come to somebody now, and another reason may come to somebody next year, who is not here. He may be on the other side of the planet. That is the creativity of the knowledge that Allah has given to those whom Allah has given knowledge. Their knowledge is what creates within them the legal reasoning and the ability to defend the faith. That you can't teach. That is, you know, when people say in sports that you can't coach that. What do they say? Okay, when somebody has developed the ability to paint and to cook and to design, and to build, and to speak, is that you can't teach that. Why? Because that's an art. Likewise, when people acquire knowledge, and they have the ability to regulate and structure their knowledge, after that, through experience, they develop this artistic ability just to come up with answers to questions. That's called bayinat, self-evident proofs. Is self evident to them, and they're able to articulate that and to express in front of other people where other people will be mesmerized by it and they'll have to concede, yes, I mean, it's far better than what I thought. Okay. What they do not do is change the law. Right? You don't change the law. You know. That is a bid'ah and sometimes haram. So, this, this is where you, you see the how the Sahaba, the Tami'un, the Fuqaha, the Mustahidun, they never came to the rescue of the Ummah because they wanted to change the Sharia. They came to the rescue of the Ummah to provide evidence why the Sharia is the way it is, and how to conceive of wahi in a very consistent and coherent and cogent way so that others after them will not make the mistake of contradicting wahi, otherwise uh, you would be guilty. Of distortion at the very least, and this is where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uses the exclamation point: Ma yajhadu bi ayatina And only those who are unjust will contest our signs. In the previous ayah, it was Kafirun in forty-seven that those who disbelieve will contest our signs in the ayat because they don't believe in the first place. Meaning in the Al Kitab. Here, this is about in the within the Muslim ummah, there may be and there are people. Who will never concede because they don't want to. That lack of uh, acquiescing is dhulm, is injustice, is intellectual academic injustice to themselves. Allah does not wrong them, but they wrong themselves. Why? Because they are stubborn. They contest and they're stubborn. No, I don't care. I don't believe it and I don't act. Why? Because it doesn't jive with the uh, politically correct narrative that's out there in the world. It doesn't jive with the culture. It doesn't jive with freedom. It doesn't jive with equal rights and human rights and whatsoever. Maybe that's wrong, and this is right. Right? If you were to exercise the same level of uh, critique uh, on what it is you believe in, again, Islam, uh, to what you, how you critique Islam, then you be on equal footing, and you see Islam comes up, comes out on top all the time. This is Allah's ta'ala's ayat and his signs, and that is for those who engage in the knowledge and acquiring knowledge and teaching knowledge day in, day out. They are the ones who will be given this uh, ability to express the self-evident signs in front of people. Learning must come from them. And that is how the Ummah has always been. Within a lay person, Muslim, There is tremendous passion and energy for Islam, which is what is required. Sometimes Allah's fadl comes upon them also, and they're able to articulate now a response for an Islamic hukum that is also sometimes very ingenious, mind-boggling. But that's occasional. That's not their profession. So if you were to talk to certain high school students, and they really love Islam, and if you're talking to maybe a, a law student, or a student of medicine, or a student of economics, and they, 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 they found that the Qur'an says this against the norm, then they will find uh, extraordinary reasoning for that uh, position of Islam. Yeah. And that is an occasional uh, sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is not a profession. What this ayah is saying is about those who make this a profession. For themselves and for others. Those who have been given knowledge of wahi and that is how we do not uh, uh, disregard the uh, values and the opinions of those who love Islam passionately and dearly, and they are struggling or striving to learn knowledge also. So we will include them also in the Ummah because they are part of the Ummah. Yeah. And then they say those who are dhalimoon, and those who are unjust, and those who are kafirun, those who don't, who, who are disbelievers. What do they say? That if only some evidences and ayat and proofs and signs or verses from the Quran uh, were revealed from their Lord or from His Lord, <coughs> so they say that we didn't get this way, <laughs> right? So Allah says, "Qul and all of these signs, all of them. They're from Allah and they're with Allah. They're with Allah and they're from Allah. Meaning that Allah gives to whom He wants to. Your job is to believe when you see them. So when you see and hear truth, you accept the truth for the truth not because of where it comes from necessarily. inna And indeed, I am only an open warner. I come to warn you and I come to tell you, inform you that if you believe, Allah will... Inshallah, through His follow grant you salvation, and give you Jannah, and give you a good life in this world. Also, if you do not believe, then that's on you. You are responsible for your confusion, and you are responsible for uh, your lack of understanding and for not uh, following what Allah wants you to follow. This is a Nadir, one of the most important Sifat attributes of the Prophet Muhammad. Sallallahu Alaihi and in fact of all Prophets, is that they are also warners. They warn people, okay, without scorning. They warn people, and that is their job. So we must not shy away from that, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came to warn people that if they don't do this, this will happen. Okay. So likewise, again, how to read the Seerah. The Seerah is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was very forceful, when he was told to be forceful. So if he was told to be forceful to the and saying that if you don't believe, this will happen to you when you die, then he would do that. As an open Warner, you know, that is his responsibility, that is his amanah, that is his trustworthiness, which he is applying to show the people that he, he, he does not create his knowledge himself. This comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّمَا ayat عِنَّ اللَّهُ The ayat, they are with Allah. He doesn't create them. Allah gives them to him so that he can explain and deliver the message. And if you don't like the message, then that's up to you. That's on you, it's not on me, because I have delivered the message. I have no vested interest other than to help you save yourself from eternal damnation and also for uh, making sure that you live a good life in this world. Then that's what the next ayah is saying. Does it not suffice them that indeed we have revealed to you, O Muhammad the revelation that is recited to them? So if you remember at the beginning of the discussion, uh, Allah says, إِلَيْكَ مِنَ Ayah number forty-five. This is now the conclusion of that discussion. And that is that the revelation that is given to you is recited. So the word for revelation here is kitab. Kitab we see as a book. When we speak of the word book today, it means a book, something that's written. So the Quran says, no, not every book is written, uh, but this book is recited. Yutla alaykum. Yutla alayhim. This book is oral, it's not written. It is written at the time of Abu Bakr. And later on, rewritten or revised in time of Uthman, عنه, certain Sahaba wrote some of the ayat and they gathered the ayat together. It was written during the time of the Prophet. But the Prophet did not write the Quran even after he received it, but it's still called the book. Right? Allah this is the book. Where's the book? <laughs> So today, in modern-day society, the book will, will, book will be one. Uh, on your phone is a book. It's not the book on paper, is it? right? So the, 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 the concept of a book changes, the time and place and people, but when the book is used in the Qur'an, it means revelation. This is the revelation, meaning this. This is the book. But well, what's the purpose of the book? The purpose of a book is to read it. Right? Wouldn't you say so? Or is it to keep it on your bookshelf and let it collect dust? What's the purpose of a book? Al-Kitab. Iqara. Read. Recite. So if you can read and recite something that is not written, that is the highest level of reading. Right? I read you. I can read your mind. I'm a mind reader. Is that higher than saying, you tell me what you're thinking? This is how you read. So, so when you use the word read, iqra, it has many levels. Likewise, when you use the word book, it has many levels, many manifestations. So here Allah is saying that is it not enough for them and for, for all of human beings that we have revealed to you, O Muhammad who did not know how to read or write, we reveal the book to you. Okay? Which is outrageous. Makes no logical sense. You're revealing a book to someone who never read? And so, he never wrote, he said, this is the book. Yeah. So Allah is saying that don't they see in you this miracle, this mu'ajizah, that this revelation or book that is given to you, it is recited yutla, meaning there's a, there, there, there's a component, integral component of ibadah and worship in this book. This book is not an ordinary book that you read, and then you understand immediately, instantaneously, this book is about humbling yourself in front of the one who reveals it in such a way that when you recite it, you are rewarded. For what? Reciting it. Yutala, عَلِينَ So once we get over this hump, then we'll understand it. But unfortunately, nowadays, 20th century Muslims, they haven't gotten over the hump i saying that, we don't understand it, so why should we read it? That's a very myopic uh, uh, approach to the Qur'an. The Qur'an is for recitation, period. You must recite it. If you don't recite it, you are not doing justice to the recitation. That's why it's called the Qur'an. What does the word Qur'an mean? A recitation, right? That's what it literally means, the recitation, the one that was recited. So you recite it, then you understand it over time, which is the organic way. When you understand, how does one understand life? How does one read life? How does one read our children or their children? How does one read our parents? Is it an event? I read now my father, my mother, I read my child, I read my spouse. How does one read those people? Are there events in there? And there's a process. Likewise, the recitation of the Quran is a process. You will not understand it in one day, in one lesson, one lecture, in one course, one seminar, in one book. It's a lifelong process. Keep on reciting, Allah will send you the understanding. Throughout life, don't stop. That is why the Hafiz in Tarawi, when he recites Surah Al Nas, what does he do immediately? He starts from the beginning again. He goes, go, goes back to Fatih and al <laughs> just to tell people, hey, yeah, you just started. You don't finish reciting the Qur'an, that's a myth. You just start and it's a new beginning. It's always a new beginning. Yutla, the word Tilawa, is very intriguing here. It's a sifa, it's an attribute, and uh, what do you call it? A description of al-kitab, the book. What is the book? The book is recited to them. When you recite through the oral tradition, uh, when you make Islam and the Qur'an universally accessible, then you'll understand the value and the beauty of what revelation is. And that is how we see in في ذلك الرحمة In that there is definitely a huge rahmah. In what? In reciting. Not in understanding. Understanding comes later, in reciting meaning that someone who hasn't been to school, someone who doesn't have even perhaps a mushaf, is he able or not able to recite the Qur'an? When you teach your child, mashallah alhamdulillahi rabbil what are you doing? But uh, teach teach him the the, the letters of the uh, Arabic alphabet first. Teach him alif bata first before you say, uh, recite Surah Fatihah. The child is reciting Surah Fatihah before they can hold a pen. That's a rahmah. What are you doing? You're making wahi accessible to the flimsiest of human beings. At the age of one, two. That is a rahmah. If you were to say that you cannot recite the Qur'an until you know how to read the Arabic that's not a rahmah, that's a zahmah, that's a burden. So this is how you see. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala eternal rahmah upon this ummah. fi <speaking> in> indeed in that. In what? In the fact that the Qur'an is recited is la rahmah. A huge rahmah for all of human beings, especially for Muslims, as now if they... If they can recite Surah Fatiha through memory, by listening to somebody else. And there are many people in the world today who have memorized the whole Qur'an just by listening to others recite. Like the blind. Have you heard of a blind hafidh? There are so many of them, mashallah. So many. Allah bless them, give them rahmat, inshallah. How does that happen, that you can recite the whole book without looking at a book? and then memorize it and repeat it without even having touched the book. Nowadays they have this idea whatever, which is also a service. There's no doubt in that. But traditionally we didn't do that. That there's a huge rahmah in making the Qur'an accessible for recitation. That is the universality of the Qur'an. If you were to make it accessible only to those who had a PhD in Islamic studies or Quranic studies or whatnot, that is not a rahmah. That is a total restriction of knowledge. Dhikra It's also a reminder. It's a reminder me minun For those who believe. It's a means of dhikr, uh, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For those who believe, you must have iman before you benefit totally from the Qur'an. As a non-Muslim, you may benefit from some of the ideas, concepts, theories and theology, theism, and the rules of history and engagement from the Qur'an, but it will not be a dhikr. It will not be what? A dhikr. It will not be a recitation. You will not be rewarded for that. You're only rewarded as a Muslim if you believe that this is wahi from Allah and it came to Muhammad Once you say that, acknowledge that, then you're a believer. But if you don't, then you're not a believer. So those who disbelieve when they read the Qur'an, Or translation of the Qur'an, they may benefit somewhat, but it's only the believer who benefits eternally. What is the greater benefit? To benefit in this world only, or to benefit in both worlds? Very logical conclusion. If I'm going to tell you that I'll give you some money now, uh, but you can only use it for the next three months. And then I give you money and say you can use this money for the rest of your life. Which one is better? The Second option. Allah is saying that I'm going to give you a formula that will give you much more benefit than simply a benefit in this world. What is that? That is tilawah. That is what? Tilawah. Why? Because tilawah will earn you reward where? In Jannah. Right, that is eternal benefit. It's abadi. And that's why this is uh, rahman a dhikra, A means of dhikr for those who believe. Allah, may Allah subhanahu wa taala make us all, uh, make us all from those who believe and those who benefit from the Quran. And may Allah subhanahu wa taala make us from those whom Allah has given knowledge and those who understand the Quran the way the Sahaba did. Amin, amin. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Shukrul